Chapters six to ten of Tristram Shandy, Volume two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gesine. The Life and Opinions of Tristram Shandy, Gentleman, Volume two, by Lawrence Stern. Chapter six. "'Bless my soul! My poor mistress is ready to faint, "'and her pains are gone, and the drops are done, "'and the bottle of julep is broke, "'and the nurse has cut her arm. "'And I my thumb!' cried Dr. Slop. "'And the child is where it was,' continued Susanna. "'And the midwife has fallen backwards upon the edge of the fender, "'and bruised her hip as black as your hat.' "'I'll look at it,' quoth Dr. Slop. "'There is no need of that,' replied Susanna. "'You had better look at my mistress. "'But the midwife would gladly first give you an account how things are, "'so desires you would go upstairs and speak to her this moment.' "'Human nature is the same in all professions. "'The midwife had just before been put over Dr. Slop's head. "'He had not digested it. "'No,' replied Dr. Slop. "'Twould be full as proper if the midwife came down to me.' "'I like subordination,' quoth my Uncle Toby, "'and but for it, after the reduction of Lyle, "'I know not what might have become of the garrison of Ghent "'in the mutiny for bread in the year ten. "'Nor,' replied Dr. Slop, "'parodying my Uncle Toby's hobby-horsical reflection, "'though fully as hobby-horsical himself. "'Do I know, Captain Shandy, "'what might have become of the garrison above stairs?' In the mutiny and confusion I find all things are in at present, but for the subordination of fingers and thumbs to the application of which, sir, under this accident of mine, comes in so apropos, that without it the cut upon my thumb might have been felt by the Shandy family as long as the Shandy family had a name. Chapter 7 Let us go back to the... in the last chapter. It is a singular stroke of eloquence, at least it was so when eloquence flourished in Athens and Rome, and would be so now, did orators wear mantles, not to mention the name of a thing when you have the thing about you in petto, ready to produce, pop, in the place you wanted it. A scar, an axe, a sword, a pinked doublet, a rusty helmet, a pound and a half of pot-ashes in an urn, or three-happeny pickle-pot but, above all, a tender infant royally accoutred. Though if it was too young, and the oration as long as Tully's second Philippic, it must certainly have beshit the orator's mantle. And then again, if too old, it must have been unwieldy and incommodious to his action, so as to make him lose by his child almost as much as he could gain by it. Otherwise, when a state orator has hit the precise age to a minute, hid his bambino in his mantle so cunningly that no mortal could smell it, and produced it so critically that no soul could say it came in by head and shoulders, oh, sirs, it has done wonders. It has opened the sluices and turned the brains and shook the principles and unhinged the politics of half a nation. These feats, however, are not to be done, except in those states and times, I say, where orators wore mantles, 
and pretty large ones too, my brethren, with some twenty or five and twenty yards of good purple, superfine, marketable cloth in them, with large flowing folds and doubles, and in a great style of design. All which plainly shows, may it please your worships, that the decay of eloquence, and the little good service it does at present, both within and without doors, is owing to nothing else in the world but short coats and the disuse of trunk-hose. We can conceal nothing under ours, madam, worth showing. CHAPTER Eight. Dr. Slop was within an ace of being an exception to all this argumentation, for happening to have his green baize bag upon his knees, when he began to parody my Uncle Toby, "'twas as good as the best mantle in the world to him, "'for which purpose, when he foresaw the sentence would end "'in his new-invented forceps, "'he thrust his hand into the bag "'in order to have them ready to clap in, "'when your reverences took so much notice of the... "'which had he managed. "'My Uncle Toby had certainly been overthrown, "'the sentence and the argument in that case "'jumping closely in one point, "'so like the two lines which form the salient angle of a ravelin.' Dr. Slop would never have given them up, and my Uncle Toby would as soon have thought of flying as taking them by force, but Dr. Slop fumbled so vilely in pulling them out. It took off the whole effect, and what was a ten times worse evil, for they seldom come alone in this life, in pulling out his forceps, his forceps unfortunately drew out the squirt along with it. When a proposition can be taken in two senses— "'Tis a law in disputation that the respondent may reply "'to which of the two he pleases, or finds most convenient for him. "'This threw the advantage of the argument quite on my Uncle Toby's side. "'Good God!' cried my Uncle Toby. "'Are children brought into the world with a squirt?' CHAPTER Nine. "'Upon my honour, sir!' "'You have tore every bit of skin quite off the back of both my hands with your forceps,' cried my Uncle Toby, "'and you have crushed all my knuckles into the bargain with them to a jelly.' "'Tis your own fault,' said Dr. Slop. "'You should have clinched your two fists together into the form of a child's head, as I told you, and sat firm.' "'I did so,' answered my Uncle Toby. "'Then the points of my forceps have not been sufficiently armed,' or the rivet wants closing, or else the cut on my thumb has made me a little awkward, or possibly, tis well, quoth my father, interrupting the details of possibilities, that the experiment was not first made upon my child's headpiece. It would not have been a cherry stone the worse, answered Dr. Slop. I maintain it, said my uncle Toby, it would have broke the cerebellum, unless indeed the skull had been as hard as a granado, and turned it all into a perfect posset. Pshaw, replied Dr. Slop, a child's head is naturally as soft as the pap of an apple. The sutures give way, and besides I could have extracted by the feet after. Not you, said she. I rather wish you would begin that way, quoth my father. Pray do, added my uncle Toby. CHAPTER Ten. And pray, good woman, after all, will you take upon you to say it may not be the child's hip as well as the child's head? Tis most certainly the head, 
replied the midwife. "'Because,' continued Dr. Slop, turning to my father, "'as positive as these old ladies generally are, "'tis a point very difficult to know, "'and yet of the greatest consequence to be known, "'because, sir, if the hip is mistaken for the head, "'there is a possibility, if it is a boy, "'that the forceps—' "'What the possibility was,' "'Dr. Slop whispered very low to my father, "'and then to my Uncle Toby. "'There is no such danger,' continued he, "'with the head.' "'No, in truth,' quoth my father, "'but when your possibility has taken place at the hip, "'you may as well take off the head, too.' "'It is morally impossible the reader should understand this. "'Tis enough Dr. Slop understood it. "'So, taking the green baize bag in his hand, "'with the help of Obadiah's pumps, "'he tripped pretty nimbly, for a man of his size, "'across the room to the door, "'and from the door was shown the way by the good old midwife.' to my mother's apartments. End of chapters 6 to 10